Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Well, rarely has a set of regulations been so eagerly anticipated. A year later than planned, though, there are many laudable aims, a more level playing field, and better racing are the main targets for the new regs. Uh, the cars will look incredibly different. You can check out our artist impressions in this week's Autosport magazine. And we are joined today to talk about F1 2022 by GP Racing's editor Ben Anderson and our technical editor Jake Boxall-Legg. Jake, we'll start with you first. It's been about five minutes since we were talking about Formula One and then we had Christmas and New Year and we are back. I trust you are well and had a break. Yeah, definitely. Um, I made sure I took holiday off as soon as uh, Abu Dhabi had finished. So, because uh, I wasn't sure, you know, it's such a quick turnaround now. It's been such a long season. Um, so I just made sure to have Christmas and New Year off. It was re- very, very relaxing and ready to all again. And Ben, with a young family, of course, I'm sure it was entirely relaxing for you as well. <laughs> you slept well. You've had 12-hour sleeps. Dream come true. I mean, as you as you know yourself, Martin, uh, Christmas, when you have young children, it's not really a break. It's more that you become full-time butler taxi service and carer Um, and you don't have the blessed relief of work anymore as you can gather i'm definitely 
happy to be back and raring to go. It is uh, one of the shortest, if not the shortest gap between final race and going testing again. Uh, we can't we can't wait. And actually, what we can't wait to do is see some car launches, because even though the days of the big flashy launches where we could actually have a look at what's on the cars, they largely went towards the end of the old regulation era. Even cars at the first test weren't representative of what would eventually go racing. We think that perhaps this year there'll be a lot more to write about. Now, Jake, of course, we'll have you on overtime when those car launches happen. You looking forward to those? Two of the launches coincide with when I'm in Mexico for Formula E. So I think overtime is going to be taking a, a slightly different level this year. Um, so hopefully, you know, we've had four launch dates as we record this. Uh, hopefully the other teams will be, you know, nice to me in particular. And um but, you know, it's always such an exciting part of the year. You know, you have Christmas and you're, you're unwrapping your presents. And then two months later, you know, you're, you're watching these news and your cars get unwrapped, so to speak, and getting to talk about them and see what they're doing. It's going to be completely new this year. So I can't wait to see what everyone's got at their sleeves. Yeah, I mean, whether we learn a lot or a little, and this year, of all years, we'll learn a little bit more in terms of car launches. Ben, even in the, even at the end of the, the maturity of the previous regulations, when we didn't get to learn too much... Did you find with your audience and the readers, there is still a huge appetite when those car launches happen just for people to start seeing racing cars again? People are still really into launches, though. Yeah, of course. Um, it doesn't take much time off. I mean, you mentioned it's the shortest gap, but people will be really keen to get going again. You know, when the racing's happening, sometimes you get a bit of fatigue that it's too many. I mean, last season that was impossible because it was so dramatic. Um, but even a short break, you start to think, oh, where's Formula One? It needs to come back. Uh, and as Jake says, this is the chance, the first chance, the first peak at what teams have been up to. It will be particularly exciting this year because there's a major regulation change whenever that happens. There is more to see because they have to start almost from a clean sheet and everyone will be looking at what that means, how the various teams have interpreted the rules. I think there will be some funny business. I'm sure teams will try to hide any tricks they they might be deploying or special things they've found at launch season. They don't want to give too much away before the first test. But it's not going to be like Red Bull offering a rendering of their old car as the new car, as we had as the under the last rules when things are, were quite mature. You can't can't go to that extreme. But it's going to be tough for people like Jake because you know it seems like most of the trickery is going to be underneath the car, so he's going to have to bend down quite low to try and see uh, see what what the teams have discovered over the winter. These regulation changes, these date back to well, actually quite a long way, 2019, which, of course, is ironic because we've just come off the back of a season where the last lap of the last race uh, dictated the world championship. And there might be some fans of Formula, Formula One thinking, well, why change? We've just had the most incredible season. So can you tell us why these regulations are here? And for people with short memories or even slightly longer ones, when these regulations were being discussed and formulated, what they were trying to solve. Well, I think this has been an age-old problem in Formula One. And yeah, we've had we've been completely thrown off by such a good 2021 that it seems odd to change everything, to change, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. It seems like such a strange thing to do. But, you know, this has been in the pipeline for such a long time. Obviously, long term, we will see convergence in it as well. But I think the main thing is, and as, as I say, this has been a problem for a very long time, cars 
Formula One cars in particular cannot follow very closely. And we've been talking about dirty air for what seems like decades now. Um, and that's something that at its base level, these regulations aim to get rid of because Formula One cars have been designed a certain way for centuries. And we've had these massive rear wings and front wings that do certain things. And it's just kind of escalated and it escalated even more with the latest rule set that came in in 2017, for example, where we had those 2009 changes that tried to sort of fix that problem. Then we moved to the 2017 rule set and it made it worse. And it has got better with convergence uh, and we got to 2021 and a lot of the cars were sort of on a very similar level, particularly in the midfield. But, you know, they still can't get very, very close to each other unless they've got the DRS effect. You know, you're in a sort of medium speed corner or, or whatever and you just wash out because you don't have the downforce. So that's something that these new rules aim to implement, aim to change. And, and hopefully when we, we go racing on track next season, um, we'll see these cars getting a lot closer in, in those particular corners. Well, I understand the theory behind it. And as Jake says, some lo- laudable aims. Obviously, we hope for the best, but I like to prepare for the worst and hope for the best. This is an age-old problem, and I'm not sure what it is about these particular rules that will solve that problem. I mean, I remember when the 2017 rules were being formulated and there were discussions between various teams about what was the best route to go down back in 2015 we were into the hybrid era everyone was moaning that Formula one sounded crap that the cars were too slow all the drivers were doing were managing tires they were basically underutilized so it was all about well how do we make formula one more exciting again more powerful more visceral etc etc and one of the plans uh, or ideas was to go down this route of effective effectively ground effect, generating the downforce from the under surfaces and less from the top surfaces. And they felt they could make the cars both quicker and also easier to follow. But that proposal was rejected. Uh, and we went down this route of, you know, just bigger, bigger steroidal Formula One cars with massive barge boards and more flicks and tricks and heavier, bigger, bigger tyres, everything. Uh, and of course it worked. I mean, Formula One cars became faster and they became the fastest ever. Um, under this rule set so you know objective achieved but of course the consequence of that is that the racing or certainly the ability to follow closely and race is negatively affected and I'm not sure you can square this circle you can have one or the other I don't think you can have both and I'd like to be proved wrong and I hope that this rule set does that but nevertheless we have DRS still so that tells you that They don't anticipate everyone's going to be following each other like a go-kart race and swapping positions corner after corner. It's going to be largely the same style of racing, even if there's maybe a few more opportunities to overtake. Probably the bigger effect will be the competitive difference between the teams. Whenever you change the rule set, you tend to um, stretch the field out rather than close it together. It takes time for everybody to understand the rules, understand the ideal concepts, understand which way to go with the cars and to actually add that performance and come together, which is what we saw in in 2021 with a little bit of help from the FIA, of course. Uh, And then you've got the tyres. So Pirelli, obviously, for so long, have been tasked with this idea of create tyres that drivers can push on, that don't degrade so quickly, that don't overheat. This This has been going back years. So it's the same brief sheet again, only with different wheels. What makes anyone think that the tyres are going to be somehow magically more durable uh, and better than they have been previously? I mean, 
The cars had to be reined in during the last rule set to keep the Pirelli tyres alive. Maybe if these cars are a step slower than the previous generation, that will help Pirelli. Um, but you're still going to be having tyre management races. I don't think you can have tyres that everyone pushes on lap after lap and more than one-stop races. Again, you can have one or you can have the other. So I don't really see how all this fits together. Uh, I think you'll end up having probably cars that are a little bit slower than the ones we've just had. And then, of course, you'll have teams clawing back the performance that the rules has tried to take away. And before long, they'll be quicker than the cars that we had before. And everyone will be making the same complaints about how they can't follow, the racing is not good enough, it's too tyre dependent. Really, I think we should stop talking about that and we should just look at how competitive is the field because last season we had a rule set that was mature. We did We had the same kind of racing we've had for years, but the season was epic and you couldn't take your eyes off it because basically there was a proper fight for the world championship between two different teams. Formula One in its history has been let's slow down the quickest team and driver. Sometimes they try and disguise that and sometimes have been unapologetic about slowing down the quickest teams. Was this just another case of let's do something to slow Mercedes-Benz down or was this let's do something bigger and try and make it competitive like we watch other series and even Formula One's feeder series that can be absolutely brilliant racing. I think it's the second of those two options as the driving force behind this rule set that's about to come into play. I mean, it was meant to be in play already. 2021 was meant to be the big revolution. It was delayed by the pandemic. And of course, wrapped up in the technical rules is also things like budget caps uh, and a performance balancing element in terms of development, wind tunnel time, etc. So there is there is a sort of soft push, it seems, by Formula One to create more of a spec formula. Obviously, it doesn't want to completely ditch the multi-mate formula because that's what makes Formula One unique in single-seater racing now. But they want to have this uh, this formula that's a bit closer to the junior categories where you know more teams are more competitive, where the cars are generally closer, obviously, because they're the same. Um, so I think the bigger picture is really what's at play behind this rule set in terms of paying Mercedes back. I mean, there's a good chance that this this rule set will help them because they put a lot of effort into these rules early. I don't think they were the first to, to focus on them because obviously they were competitive and they wanted to make the most of the last rule set. But it's certainly to their advantage that they thought about it very carefully and were very sp- specific about shutting off development of last year's car quite soon and sooner than Lewis Hamilton wanted. Um but the tweaks to the last rule set that arguably, arguably gave us the best Formula 1 season in a long time, certainly since probably 2012, that was done, certainly in Mercedes' mind, to peg them back because the cars were meant to carry over 2020 and 2021. But of course, they didn't quite. They froze the cars, then they unfroze them sort of, and then they froze them again just to get through to this year. So there, there may be some lessons there, but it's a bit too late, isn't it? You know, if everyone had just been able to keep going... Maybe we'd be looking at another really competitive season. Maybe Ferrari, without the token system, finds a bit more, comes into the mix, or maybe even with the token system still in play. As it is, we just don't know. It's a a complete reset. I still think the the biggest and best and brightest teams will have the advantage. Uh, And it has to be under a new rule set because it's, um, as many of the technical people are fond of saying, it's an understanding race. The quicker you can understand the rules the quicker you're going to get ahead of everyone else and the, the teams with the brightest minds and the biggest budgets can can throw more into doing that. So I, I don't think initially it will achieve F1's aims. It's more likely to spread the field out and then hopefully if they've done the right framework over time, it will come together again. And you would hope that as it does that, there are more teams in the mix and it's not just one or two, it's three or four or five. 
uh, and everybody's closer together and everybody can race better. Fingers crossed. They've had another year to get their heads around this. Now, I remember I had to I had to host a technical podcast with one of our partners last year because you were away doing something. And I thought, oh, I'll download the technical regulations, like a 150-page PDF, uh, which is why we task you with this and the rest of us <laughs> don't have to do that. And I'm like, oh, hell's bells. Uh, okay, right. I was going to skim through it and, and try and understand a little bit more. But given another 12 months of, of development in this understanding race, does this just allow those teams at the front, the Red Bulls and the Mercedes of the world, to have an extra 12 months head start? Does that delay, in a way, penalise the smaller teams with fewer resources? Or, and we'll come on to the kind of the point system in, in, in a second part of the podcast, or does it still say, stay pretty equalised in your view? At the very, very start of 2020, when the pandemic wasn't massive, teams were obviously looking at these regulations and already starting to get their heads around what they could possibly do. Um, and then when everything sort of kicked off with COVID, um, you know, they put a pin in that. Formula One said you're not allowed to do any kind of development work until uh, the 1st of January 2021. But that doesn't preclude teams from looking through the rule book and thinking about it, you know, in the shower or something like that. There would have been a lot of sort of ideas and, and thoughts in their, in their mind what they could possibly do. The the caveat of that is what can they do within the cost cap? Because developing for those regulations now, because of its pushback to 2022, all falls within you know the cost cap of uh, that everyone put into place last year. Therefore, they're going to have to be a lot more selective or what they do and with what they don't do with regards to their cars. So they might have a great many ideas of what they can do with these 2022 technical regulations, but with the what was a $145 million cost cap, which has now dropped to $140 million, some of those ideas will have to have been left on the cutting room floor. So it it does equalise things a little bit. Um, yeah, for sure, everyone's going to have have had an extra 12 months to think about it. Um, and, and I'm sure they would have come up with some ideas last year that they couldn't really simulate until, uh, until 2021. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's been pegged back a little bit. So I think there is that equalization there for sure. And so in a month's time, this podcast, although we're recording it a couple of days before, going out Monday, 24th of January, that's going to be the middle day of the first test. At this stage of the season, uh, JBL, what are teams, to the best of your knowledge, what are they working on with a month out until testing? Look, we've seen teams not turn up to the first test. We've seen them turn up unprepared and technical directors have, have subsequently departed company with teams over things like that. So with a month out until testing, where will some of the better prepared teams be at their stage of development? I think for the most part, when it comes to that development process, there is usually a hard cap of when you freeze your design to get to the first test with it. And they'll still have things in the pipeline that they'll trickle out over the first few rounds but you know let's say for example october november sort of time that's when they would have come up with a hard sort of freeze for the design itself and then they would have started on the manufacturing processes and getting everything together so by middle of february they've got a car together and um even earlier if they want to you know pencil in a shakedown just to make sure that everything is working and then it's off to testing to you know try and break the car. That's what all of the technical people say. Uh, we want to go to testing, try and break the car, work out where it fails so that we can go in, in time for Bahrain, go and fix it. And also they will have brought through lots of different uh, lots of different new parts that they would have had in the pipeline but didn't get ready for 
testing, for example, or they will have it planned for the second week so they can do back-to-back tests, that kind of thing. So it's a lot of simulation work, a lot of uh, manufacturing work going on at the moment just to get everything ready for Barcelona in February. This is where we got caught out in 2019, wasn't it? I think when Mercedes struggled in the first test and then they bought a revamped nose and aero package for the second test and everyone, including ourselves, went, oh, look, they've they've done a massive update between the tests to fix it. And Mercedes said, well, actually, we had to sign off this second package months ago in order to get it made. So <laughs> it's just that basically our first week's car was a bit basic and now you're seeing the real car. Will that be the case again? It's the way that the timeline has to be. So if you're if you're trying to furiously simulate and develop your ideas right up to the cutoff point, then you have no choice but to delay your manufacturing until you've signed those things off. So I imagine you will see teams putting out basic cars at launch in the first test. They'll have ideas in the pipeline to update those cars already signed off and then in the manufacturing process ready for the second test and then more as the first races approach. What's really interesting about this period is the technical teams all looking at the other cars both from launch season and through the tests and into the early races to try and understand who's doing what and which concepts are working and when and why they're working. So for the top teams who are budget capped and having to work down to the budget cap, they've got the really tricky uh, decision to make about where do you focus these limited resources. And if they, they it's unlikely they'll all get it absolutely spot on. So your Red Bulls and your Ferraris and your Mercedes who are most affected will be looking at those smaller teams like Hawks thinking, right, well, have they got anything on their car that we haven't spotted or that we couldn't do or we wanted to do but didn't think it was the right thing to prioritise? And then all the the smaller teams we who either aren't at the budget cap or are right on the limit would be looking at the bigger cars going, did we miss anything? At least testing this time, we're going to see some running because at the start of the hybrid era, we weren't even sure if cars, and indeed some cars didn't get out of the pit so they sounded like they were running on you know, three cylinders or, you know, a Honda engine would come out and it would sound, you know, like it had its catalytic converter nicked in the middle of the night on a rough estate. It was sounding, <laughs> sounding like so rough. And, you know, oh, oh so my that's God. why, that's why they started so badly. That's what it was. Yeah. Somebody <laughs> in see. the middle of the night had gone under there with a hacksaw <laughs> and uh, chopped a bit of the exhaust off. And you're like, my God, the sound of that. Like, and we were amazed that some cars are even running. And so, you know, it's great that we are going to see, hopefully. <clears throat> some running uh, because large of those power units are unchanged. We'll come on to those uh, a little bit later. Right, Jake, let's talk about uh, some of the big changes that are happening then and get into like kind of the, really the meat of stuff. So ground effect, we go back to the future. We had it, we didn't have it, it is back. And Venturi tunnels, which I don't understand. So can you uh, run us through what's happening underneath the car, please? It's going to be difficult in a podcast format as well, because it's sort of quite a visual thing, but I'll try and be as descriptive as I I possibly can. First of all, quick potted history of ground effects. Uh, Came about in the 1970s, turns down a little bit uh, in the early 80s, and then they were banned at the end of the 1982 season. And what teams essentially had was um, two giant aerofoils effectively comprising the side pods of the car. And so what you have is... So if you imagine looking at an aerofoil, for example, side on, uh, an aeroplane wing turned upside down, you've got a sort of wide opening at the front and then it gets closer to the ground in the middle and then it opens up at the back. So it's like a sort of nice little swooshy, curvy sort of thing. And so the air goes in and then when it reaches that point at which is closest to the ground, the airflow then accelerates. And what you then get is you get a drop in pressure to compensate for that. It all follows something called Bernoulli's Fit Theorem, which is a continuity equation of uh, how airflow works, basically, and other fluids as well. 
it accelerates to compensate, the pressure drops, and that's what develops your downforce. And so you have high pressure on top of the car and low pressure underneath. And so the high pressure tries to equalize with the low pressure, pushes the car down, you get downforce, tires work, yada, yada, yada. So that's what those very primitive ground effects did. And these will work in very much the same way. Uh, if you look at what the Formula One car is going to be uh, from the underside, um, you'll see sort of two channels if you like doing very much the same thing as that you'll have an opening at the front it will get close to the ground in the center period and then you'll have these two tunnels that expand kind of like a diffuser that we've had in formula one for the last few years over the last few last 30 years uh, or 40 years rather um we've had flat floors on a formula one car teams have tried to compensate for that by using rake and diffusers and other kind of things to generate more downforce but now this is going to i think benefit cars that have run uh, historically with less rake because you're going to want the floor to be as, you know, I, I think f- as flat as possible to get the biggest effect out of it. So that's essentially what we're going to have with ground effects. <laughs> <laughs> that's essentially what we're going to have with ground effects uh, and these Venturi tunnels. Um, if you look at, you know, the bottom of an IndyCar, bottom of a Formula, well, a Formula 2 car sort of uses them. IndyCars do use Venturi tunnels as well and various other race cars do. So, it's a very proven formula in modern motorsport, and it probably it's probably, to be honest with you, a long time coming that Formula One is bringing it back. Whenever there's regulation changes, there's always lobbying from top teams, and then there's kind of working groups that happen behind the scenes that we don't really get to know about. It tends to be those that have influence and the loudest voice tend to sometimes get their way. I don't know if it's just me, but I don't seem to have heard a lot about it happening with this set of regulations. Do you know, has it been, has it been going on or have people largely been going along with, with these regs? I'm sure that lobbying has been happening because that's how Formula One teams operate. They're always trying to work things to their advantage if it's possible. We've seen it in the open air in Abu Dhabi. This project's a bit bigger than that. It's very much a Formula One led thing. It's a Liberty led thing. This is their first big revamp of the formula since they took it over. Uh, and also they've employed some very high profile poachers turned gamekeepers to kind of keep a lid on this kind of thing. You know, Ross Braun's running the show. He's got Pat Simmons working under him. Rob Smedley's been in there. Is it Edward? I think was there from Williams, a few very, very various people from teams who've held senior technical design roles have been working on these rules for Ross. You know, he's seen it all before. He's been there. So I'm sure he's been hearing a lot of moaning from various uh, technical directors and just told them to bog off. You know, this is this is what we're doing. This is what we believe in. And you guys have, you know, a senior level signed off on it too. Uh, what we need to get the championship on a better keel, you know, try and equalise the competition, try to make it more exciting um, for the longer term. Uh, so I think you've, you've had a lot more resistance from the people writing the rules and shaping uh, uh, this formula um, to make sure that it isn't going down one route that favours one team over the other. I think if it does, and obviously we've mentioned the, you know, the flatter ride heights and that may be favouring Mercedes, that's just a, a coincidence or an accident perhaps of how they felt they needed to go. But of course that said, I mean, JBL would be much better qualified to explain, but I imagine, you know, as I understand it, when Grand Effect was in Formula 1 the first time, the reason it was banned is because they couldn't control it very well and you had cars that were going extremely fast one minute and then suddenly their ride height would be upset by a bump and then they'd be spat off at ridiculous speeds into barriers that weren't particularly safe and they were quite frightened of having been on a big safety crusade killing more drivers. 
I'd imagine now, of course, suspension understanding design is far more advanced. So they'll be much better able to control the ride heights and manage the ground effect, which allows it to come back into the regulations more openly. But at the same time, there are rule changes, as JBL has outlined, that are designed to restrict what people can do in terms of managing their suspension and their ride heights. Um, so if you're a team, and I think Mercedes has been quite advanced in that area in recent years, they stand to lose a lot in terms of what they've been developing to control their ride heights. Red Bull probably the same because you know they've been at the pioneers of high rake and that's required a lot of suspension cleverness to, to make work. So the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, I think. Uh, and it will be interesting to see how they balance out the different priorities. And for any of our listeners that don't know, the architects of this new set of rules are waving goodbye very soon at the end of this season. Can we read anything into that? Is it simply Ross's second or third retirement? Pat Simmons going as well. Is that just timing? Are they not going to stick around to see it out? Or do you reckon a year is enough? Well, what do work, you think? Their work is done, isn't it? That's the thing, you know, they've, they've, sh- they've shaped the rules. The rules are now set in stone and it's up to the teams and their specific employees to interpret them and make them work and the FIA's job to enforce them. You don't need Ross and his crack team hanging around sort of going, well, I wouldn't do it like that or I wouldn't do it like that. I mean, they'll be working on the engine formula, I imagine now, because that's the, the next thing to kind of nail. And um, that's been pushed down the road a bit, obviously also by the pandemic. I know Pat, is uh, working on that at the moment. So I imagine this extra year is to kind of get that nailed. Uh, and then once they've signed that off, it seems to be getting closer. They, the FIA published the four pillars, didn't they, before Christmas and edging towards getting the framework right. So once they've done that work, they they kind of have made themselves redundant. So I wouldn't read too much into it. Excellent. That's the end of our first part of F1 2022. When we come back, we'll be looking at at what listed parts are and how it affects B teams. Look at the power units and the early impressions from those that have talked about it on social media, done some sim runs, etc. Stick around. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Welcome back to part two of our look at F1 2022 on the Autosport podcast. All right, Jake, um, let's talk a little bit about some of the, the things that we'll see above. We've talked a bit underneath the car, but above the car. So the main overbody changes, barge boards are gone, wheel covers are back. That's going to be quite visually striking, but although it won't have the biggest effect on the cars. Just talk us through those a little bit. Oh uh, yeah, the wheel covers are back for the first time since uh since 2000 and, uh, 2009 and already uh people are playing around with them a little bit trying to install LED lights and that sort of thing uh because advertising is king in any modern sport. Um yeah, it will certainly be very visually striking especially with these brand new 18-inch tires as well which is going to give the teams a lot a very different tire to play with. They're going to be uh, a lot stiffer. The sidewalls are going to be very, very different. Um, they're going to have to not start from ground zero, particularly with the suspension, but you know, it will give them a brand new challenge. Um, a lot of things like that. And with regards to the rest of the visuals as well, um, these barge boards are gone, which from my perspective is a good thing because 
they were getting so intricate that it was so difficult to to tell what everything was doing because there were these tiny little razor fine pieces um that you know probably didn't look like they were very much but they were obviously doing a lot of of heavy lifting otherwise it wouldn't be there and the front and rear wings as well um the front wing now looks like uh the wing of a sort of jetliner um the way that it turns up into the end plate so that you don't have all of this foot plate trickery and that sort of thing to turn airflow around the front tires and the rear wing as well. Um, the end plates are sort of incorporated into the, the, the two top flap elements and they sort of curl around if you like. And that's just to sort of further limit that dirty air effect that F1 is trying to eliminate. So yeah, visually it is a very, very different, a very different prospect. Um, and it's not just a sort of aero effect that they're going for. They're going for a brand new face of Formula One. Um, and hopefully they look they look good. Uh, I look forward to seeing what they come up with. Ben, the it's funny that JBL mentions the uh, 2009 era Braun with their double diffuser domination. Do you think uh, a team can come out of the box and dominate like that the last time we've seen that? And do you want a team to do that? Uh, I don't think you want a team to dominate at all. I mean, if that happens, it's contrary to everything these rules are designed to achieve. Um, I think it is likely to happen because history tells us that usually when the rules change, one team does steal a big advantage, usually at the start. Um, we saw it in 98 with McLaren. Ferrari got back into contention with the narrow track cars and the, the groove tyres, but McLaren had a big advantage to begin with. So Newey doing his homework very well. Braun was a very particular case. I mean, that was, you know, that was the might of the Honda Works team that, you know, they built an absolute dog of a car for 2007 and 2008. And Ross Braun quite cleverly decided to just pour everything into 2009, knowing obviously that the rules were going to change in a substantial way. And of course, Honda disappeared before they could, uh, <laughs> before they could enjoy the fruits of that labor. Um, but nevertheless, the, the groundwork was done by Honda as well as by Ross. So although that, although he had a sort of shoestring crack team running the car that year and they, they almost limped to the championship by the end as Red Bull were coming on strong, he'd already done the work with the back, full backing of Honda. So again, you've got to look to kind of, you know, the big, the big wigs, the heavy hitters for someone who's going to go out and get ahead. All the signs point to Mercedes really, even though they might have been slightly distracted by 2021's. Um, partial changes in the title fight. Um, Red Bull, I think, will be even worse affected because they threw the kitchen sink at winning the title when, in Honda's last full year. So they might be compromised in the way they were in the early years under the previous rule set, where they tended to start a bit slowly and take maybe four or five races to get going. Ferrari, I think, you'd look at making a big step because they were very clear about switching off uh, focus from 2021 after basically spending their tokens and fixing the, the very big problems they had after their engine was pegged back. So they would have put a lot of extra time into this coming year. They should make a step forward. Um, and also Alpine, if anyone's going to surprise, I'd probably say Alpine because, you know, they, they've kind of written off the last two years really, uh, in terms of development, um, knowing that under the previous rule set, they weren't going to achieve the lofty ambitions they had previously. And they signed, obviously, Fernando Alonso on the basis of this revolution. It was meant to be last year, of course. Now it's this year. So it's given them a bit of extra time. I think they're the ones who've absolutely pinned themselves to this mast. So there, there's a lot of pressure on them. And I think 
if the resource is there, they're not the best resource team on the grid, but if, if they've spent those resources carefully and correctly, they could make a, a big leap in performance. I don't know if it's enough to take them right to the front. That sort of depends if these rules, which are quite restrictive and designed to sort of converge the cars, whether there really is the possibility to find something that's totally outside the, the box. I'm not sure really it's a it's comparable to 2009. I think the combination of everything at play and the state of the teams means you're more likely to see something along standard lines with a few jumps kind of within the midfield or out of the midfield rather than somebody from nowhere going from, you know, say Hass intent to the front. I just don't see that happening. Let's talk about listed parts, how it affects things like B teams and transferable components, even open source components. That doesn't sound very Formula One sharing things, whatever next. Formula One has gone a li- under a little bit of a revamp in terms of uh, how it classifies components, essentially. Um, and as we all know, with regards to those open source parts, uh, sharing is caring. Um, but the thing is, when it comes to those particular parts, um, they're not particularly performance uh, influencing parts. It's things like steering wheels uh, and, and little bits like that. But it's still part of the regulations. You could still theoretically design a steering wheel and then you would put it in a server that other teams could theoretically use it extends to things like that you would usually get from another manufacturer like brake components and things like that um but you know you could theoretically uh swipe mercedes steering wheel and uh use it on your own car uh which is quite an interesting quirk of the rules um the listed and transferable parts it's not too different to what we have with you know what b teams are and aren't allowed to use now um you know, all of the aerodynamics that has to be proprietary to a team. Um, but, you know, you can use things like gearboxes and suspension from other teams, you know, like Red Bull and AlphaTauri have that symbiotic relationship. Haas and Ferrari. Uh, Williams is expanding uh, its, you know, relationship with Mercedes and using their gearbox, for example, for next season. Um, and then we've got a sort of subsection of the listed parts, which the teams have to design themselves, which is the prescriptive parts, uh, which the teams have to produce themselves, but they have to design directly with what the FIA and Formula One has mandated. So that's the little wheel deflectors uh, and, and things like that. And then you now also have a lot more standard components like fuel pumps and obviously electronics been standard for, for a very long time. Um, but it's just other things like that to try and cut costs to reduce the amount that teams are putting into developing parts that don't have very much sort of in terms of performance in them so it's sort of quite a complicated thing and there's this big appendix in the regulations where it's essentially got every part listed in a table and it's got like a little three letter acronym of uh, ltc which is like listed team component it's come up with all of these little three letter abbreviations uh just to make it sort of a little bit more easy to digest but it's a completely different way about how f1's gone into defining these regulations they've left a lot of well, they've, you know, they've left no stone really unturned, really. Every single part of the car is kind of documented in this new fashion. Um, I think actually this week, as we record this, Zach Brown also, uh, had something to say about the amount of reliance that teams have on these B team components. And he, you know, reiterated this desire that F1 should be this constructor sport. And all of these B teams were getting all of these parts that they have to bother with while uh, McLaren are developing everything themselves. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that narrative uh, progresses as we get into these new regulations. 
How do you feel about the the current power unit in Formula One? It won't be changing. It's frozen. Of course, Honda, with their exceptional timing, winning just as things got good. So there'll be a Red Bull under the bonnet of the Red Bull. How are you feeling about the kind of the power units? They're going to be around for the next three or four years. Do they need to allow more work on that? Of course, you can still work on them for reliability, but largely it's going to be what we've, you know, more of the same, right? Yeah, I think that's probably the sensible decision. The manufacturers have already, you know, sunk huge amounts of cost into these units, developing them from the early days. The ones that you so fondly remember as sounding like the catalytic converter has been stolen in the middle of the night. We're thankfully (laughs) past that, past that era now. Thankfully, thankfully, and they've developed them sort of to kind of the level we remember in the later V8 days, where the manufacturers kind of had this, you know, this unwritten rule that they would converge and you know help each other out not you know not be too silly and they didn't need to waste the money developing things when everybody knew all the tricks and could just develop the same way i'm not sure it's quite the same with the hybrids because there's that much more complicated but probably enough is enough now you know they've they've spent a lot of money we've got to the point where the engines are pretty much fairly equal you know we don't hear any more this moaning about just how much better the Mercedes engine is. And certainly Mercedes aren't in the position that Paddy Lowe was in in 2014, where it was basically, well, how, what mode do we run this in so that we don't absolutely embarrass the field and get loads of extra political pressure? It seems like now, you know, Mercedes are actually having to push quite hard. They have reliability problems. Some Sometimes, you know, they've been outperformed in a straight line by, by Honda, what will now be the Red Bull. Ferrari, obviously, before they before they got pegged back, you know, they, they've probably got the most to gain from doing some interim development. Um, the rules obviously kept Renault in the game and they're still here. Obviously, F1 wants more manufacturers to come and play, certainly now that Honda's disappearing again. Um, but it's not going to happen under these rules. So the best thing to do is freeze these ones while everything's quite competitive and then work obviously on the new formula and, and try and get, it looks like, VW Audi Group to come come and play all right now again with the power of podcast jbl let's try and do something that works really well on visual when you can show somebody something uh, and is really hard to explain to our podcast listeners but you made a brilliant video recently check out the autosport youtube channel it's you explaining that if we see at the first race of the season somebody comes out the blocks and they're absolutely smashing it it doesn't mean that that's locked in now for the whole season and that F1 have put something in place and some measures in place that will allow, hopefully, teams to catch up. Can you just kind of briefly run us through these new kind of development points and how the grid order, as the season progresses, is going to affect that? Yeah, sure. So we've got a brand new set of uh, aerodynamic testing regulations, which uh, you know Formula One has already... Uh, put limits in place for how much CFD you, c- you can do, how much wind tunnel testing you can do, but that's now on a sliding scale, and it's all dependent on your constructors' championship positioning. Um, so going into this season, they'll take the constructors' championship positions from this year, and that will then affect how much time you can do in the wind tunnel and how much time you can do with your CFD uh, simulations. So Mercedes won the last year's constructors' championship, so they're going to get the least allotted time available in the wind tunnel and um, 
the least lot of time available to do CFD simulations. On the flip side of that, Haas came last, so they're going to get to do much more than everybody else. Um, what's then going to happen is they're going to go through what's called three aerodynamic testing periods, which is basically within one of them, they define how, how long you can do it for, how long you can test for, uh, and, and, and how long you can do in the, in CFD. Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the CFD regulations are very, very complicated as well. So even if I did have them, it probably wouldn't do uh, much for me get to go too deep into them. Um, but after you've gone through those p- three periods uh, at the end of June, that's all going to switch around. So they're going to take the Constructors' Championship placings as they are on the 30th of June, and the teams are going to be reallocated time. So for example, if Mercedes have an absolute shocker and they're languishing at the bottom of the 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 the, the constructors championship, then they're going to get the same <laughs> a lot time. Never- We're in fantasy land again, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> they're going to get the same allotted time as as what has was going to get at the start of the season. So that's one way of keeping yeah. all of the teams Well, Haas will get nothing because they shot to the top of the field using their extra allocation <laughs> in the first six months. <laughs> using all their extra allocation and uh, spending no time at all on their 2021 car. So uh, there's that as well. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's going to completely shuffle around. So teams are going to have the opportunity to, you know, if they have a particularly bad start to the season, they've not had a lot of time in the wind tunnel or a lot of time in CFD at the start of the season, they'll be able to recoup that and hopefully have either a better end to the season or a better start to 2023. Um, so it does keep all of the teams on the straight and narrow a little bit and, levels things out a little bit it's a little bit artificial but because of the change in you know a lot of times it's not too much of a difference i don't think i'm not sure it's going to make a huge difference i mean it was in the rules for 2021 but it made next to no difference because of the token system and teams thinking well we need to focus on next year we actually we're not going to spend any time putting these current cars in the the wind tunnels the ones that we built first in 2020 so this year will probably be the first test of performance balancing in F1 development, which is one along with these kind of standardized components. I know that's been going on for a while. I mean, McLaren supplied the electronics for a long time, didn't they, to every team? Um, but it's a, it's a, a creeped further in that direction. You know, single make stuff in Formula One that will be unpalatable to a lot of fans. This idea that you balance performance by allowing some teams more wind tunnel and CFD time than others is a little bit uncomfortable. But will it make a huge difference? I mean, Alonso's said many times before he came back to F1 with Alpine that you're kind of stuck once you've designed your car, built your car, and you hit the hit the track. Your concepts are kind of defined. And yeah, you can do a bit of in-season development and you can try this and you can try that. But all the time you're trying to work out what went wrong you're shipping time and points to your rivals. So at a certain point, everyone has to decide whether actually it's worth continuing continuing to go down that rabbit hole or whether you just have to look at next year and go, yeah, we, we, we completely messed this one and, and we write that one off. And, you know, performance balancing the aero development through the season won't really affect those kind of decisions. It's like, you know, you've, you've, you've really got to hit the ground running in Formula One. And it's been the case for a while that, wind tunnel time and CFD has been very restricted. Okay, you haven't had this idea that someone's allowed more than someone else based on their results, but the teams have have, have been having to do quite a lot with less for a while. So I think a lot of them will be quite geared up um, and in tune with this this way of operating anyway. So I don't see it making a huge difference. 
Okay, final couple of minutes of the podcast. Uh, ben, we'll stay with you as our, our resident driver. Uh, let's talk <laughs> about the drivers. Let's talk about the drivers and, and who you think might be able to adapt to these new regulations, of course, in the, the run-in to the title. You know, Lewis Hamilton was talking about how he was doing a bit of, bit of simulation time, which is rare for him as part of that, that final duel with Max. And, of course, it's a reminder that, you know, some drivers spend a lot of time in the sims. And, obviously, Lewis chooses not to, doesn't feel like he needs to but in terms of how you think maybe the grid might shake out with uh the tussles maybe at the top with max and lewis of course we've got george russell joining him as a teammate dynamic you know what do you think about the uh some of the the uh the drivers oh and finally fernando alonso saying that experience counts you know with kimmy retiring the effective uh father of the house uh, we'll call him <laughs> to steal something from politics will give him the de facto advantage what do you think of all that well i think it's a big year for Alonso because this is this is the reason he came back. You know, he got fed up with Formula One being uh, so inequitable and Mercedes being so dominant, and no one being able to catch them. And obviously, you know, it was slightly conceited, but it did happen uh, last year. To Alonso's mind, this is this is Formula One's more level playing field. So he will be hoping that this has a tangible, real uh, impact on the competitive order pretty much from the, from the get go. Cause you know, you mentioned he's the father of the house time is short. So, you know, if he's going to win that third world championship, he needs to do it sooner rather than later. Um, so big year for him. Um, there's been, you know, different impressions from the drivers, obviously some who many of whom have tried, you know, simulations of the new cars. Um, but uh, you know, some have said, well, the cars will be so different by the time you actually hit the track. Is there any value in that? You know, probably not. Lewis, yes, he spent time in the sim towards the end of last year, but that was very specifically because he was in a title fight. Mercedes didn't really understand how to unlock the the secrets of the W12, uh, and they needed his help, basically, to, to get the setup right so that he could try and win the championship, and he, he very nearly did. Um, so I think his his view on simulators will remain, and <laughs> he'll try to stay out of it as much as he can. Everyone will like to get a little impression, but they kind of know, don't they? The idea is to kind of take away some of the grip, take away some of the downforce, the biggest thing for the drivers is the following aspect, which we talked about at the top of the show. You know, the big thing is how much closer can you follow another car when you're behind it and through what types of corners. And you won't know that on your sim because on your sim, you run around on your own with only your engineering team behind you talking to you in your ear and trying to work out what they're doing with their own car. So until we hit the track in testing and you can actually, good that we're going to Barcelona because that's a track that traditionally for donkey's years, uh, it's been impossible to follow closely around. So if we suddenly see cars overtaking in um, random parts of the circuit, then we'll know that uh, F1 has hit the spot and we're in for a glorious new era. Here's hoping. JBL, we are we are sending you on the Formula E trail this year as well. So does that allow you to get to Barcelona for, for first test? And are you, are you looking forward to it? Of course, yeah. There's a, a nice convenient gap for me to, to drop into. So uh, hopefully everything will be fine. Hopefully I'll be there on the ground watching all of the cars go round as uh, as I always do and uh, of course I will also be on hand to cook my famous testing chili uh, I say famous uh, I made it twice uh and it was <laughs> excellent it was yeah, fine it's very good I can <laughs> confirm all right well we look forward to that in the Airbnb and we look forward to your reports and the live chat and everything that comes with testing as well goodness a month away uh and we'll be in the middle of it that's brilliant guys thank you very much for joining us today we'd love to know what you think 
about F1 2022. You can, of course, pick up Autosport magazine right now. If you're not a subscriber, check out uh, the, uh, the, uh, the shelves to pick up your magazine. And uh, you can contact these guys on their, their socials. You can email podcast at autosport.com and let us know your feedback. And we'll see you on the next one. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Message and data rates may apply. Guys, got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. That's E-A-S-Y to 203203. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.